You know, a story is a powerful thing if you think about it. It's powerful because it can have us on the edge of our seat or it can make us cry. It can even make us laugh. A story can fill us with pride or it can make us incredibly angry. A story is an account that may be real or it might be the, the creation of from someone's imagination. It may be written to move you in a certain way or to simply just entertain you. But a well-written story has the ability to inspire you. I remember one of those books for me, the very first book that I ever felt that in was a book by David Wilkerson called The Cross and the Switchblade. It was a story about Nikki Cruz, a true story, about this gang member from the streets of New York. It was about a man who was far from God, but he ultimately comes to Christ and God starts to work through him in a powerful way. It was a gripping story of a life that had been wasted and lost, and yet by the power of God, Nikki Cruz was saved. As a junior high kid reading that story, I felt like I was there on the streets of New York, and I remember learning that no matter how far a person might be from God, they're never too far from his grace. It's true, a story has the power to influence how we think, how we feel, and even how we act. And we've been collecting over the last month a number of stories of people's lives and how God had worked in remarkable, remarkable ways in their lives. And we've been collecting those because we want people to see that ordinary people, just like you and me, have God at work in our lives. Well, we're starting a brand new series today as we begin this series titled, Even If, Stories from the Book of Daniel. And in this series, you might expect it's gonna focus on stories. And each of these stories that we're gonna be looking at in this series are powerful. They're impactful. They show that no matter where a child of God might be, wherever they might find themselves, whatever predicament or situation they might find themselves in, he or she, they're not too far from God. In fact, what we'll see is that God is with the people of God wherever they are. You see, these stories are stories of hope. So if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel, the first chapter. If you're following along with us on the app, you'll see the, the passage is there. But as we jump into our first story in this series, I want to give you a little bit of background. The background starts with the birth of Daniel. 620 BC, he's born during the reign of King Josiah of Judah. And King Josiah was a great reformer among the people of Judah. He brought a lot of spiritual reforms and made the nation faithful again to God. In 609 BC, King Necho, or Pharaoh Necho, the king of Egypt, was on his way from Egypt up here to Carchemish, just in northern, the northern part of what is Syria. And on that journey, they had to cross through the region of Judah. And as they were doing that, 
King Josiah and his army actually came out to meet the Egyptian army at Megiddo. It was here at Megiddo that the Egyptians proved far too significant for the army of Judah. Sadly, King Josiah was killed and the nation of Judah became a nation that was under the authority of Egypt at that point. Well, the Egyptians continued on to link up with their allies, the Assyrians, and the reason they were going to Carchemish was to do battle against this surging Babylonian empire. Though Egypt defeated Judah at Megiddo, that battle would actually have a significant cost to the Egyptian army. You see, the allied forces of Egypt took significant losses during that battle. And that would prove decisive in the battle against the main enemy, the Babylonian army. And as a result, Egypt and the Assyrians would be defeated by King Nebuchadnezzar. And as a result of that, the nation of Judah would become under the authority of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, every story is made up of a number of parts. And what I want us to do today is take a look at the different facets of Daniel's story. And it starts with the first part of that story, and that is the consequences of war. For decades, God's prophets had warned the nation of Judah that their idolatry, immorality, and their injustice toward the poor would lead to the nation's destruction. And we see what this result was in verses one and two of our text. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. The prophets of God had predicted that this would happen. They predicted the day when God would bring the Babylonian army to destroy Jerusalem and the temple and take a number of their people captive back to Babylon. God would rather have his people living in captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the holy land. He didn't want them dishonoring his name any longer. God had made a covenant years and years before with the people of Israel, promising that he would take care of them and bless them and watch out for them if they would just be faithful to him, if they would just obey his commandments. If they disobeyed, he promised that he would punish them, scattering them among the Gentiles. He wanted Israel to be, as Isaiah said, a light for the Gentiles. But instead, the Jews became like the Gentiles and worshiped false gods. Judah's ungodly, ungodly kings, sinful civic leaders, false prophets and faithful, faithless priests, they were the cause of the moral decay and ultimately the destruction of the nation of Judah. You know, we worship and serve 
a sovereign God. That means he has authority over the entire universe and everything in it. We worship a sovereign God. And one thing you need to know about him is he is never caught off guard. No matter what our circumstances may be, we can always say with confidence, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. As we will see in this story, that no matter what you may face, it's not too great or too complicated for God to handle. Here's a key point. You can always be confident that God is in control. Always be confident that God is in control. Well, the second part of Daniel's story is that the brightest and the best are exiled for training. A bunch of the inhabitants of Jerusalem were sent off to Babylon. And we read this in the next part, verses three and four. It says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar's policy was to train the best people of the conquered nations in order to serve in his government. He could benefit from their knowledge of their people, and he could also use their skills to strengthen his own administration. And it appears that Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were part of the group that were taken in 605 B.C., back to Babylon. The best guess is that Daniel was probably around 15 years of age at this time. Now this is a huge challenge for these teenagers. I mean, think about it. It'd be very easy for them to just absorb the Babylonian culture, the Babylonian ways, and become like the rest of everybody living there, even spiritually. You don't have to read much of the Old Testament to understand that that's what happened a lot of the time. You see, often God's people didn't follow the Lord, nor did they keep his commandments. But there was always a remnant within the Jewish nation that would come through the trials to maintain the covenant with God. There was always a remnant who was faithful to God. That's not easy. Because when you find yourself in a spot like Daniel and his friends, you find yourself going against the flow. They were going against the flow of a pagan culture. But remember, there's always a remnant that remained faithful. And these four teenagers were part of that. You know, the same principle applies to the church today. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses 21 and following. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 
And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Jesus makes the point in this text that being a Christian is more than just checking off a bunch of boxes. It's about doing the will of God. I remember Wayne Smith would often say, it's one thing to sing the Star Spangled Banner. It's another thing to join the army. You know, we can talk a good talk, but our actions will tell the real story of whether we are actually doing God's will. We see in these four Hebrew teens, they were actually walking the walk. These young men were superior in every way, the text tells us. They were handsome, healthy, intelligent, and talented, perfectly prepared by God for mission far from home. Don't let this discourage you, though. If you see yourself in comparison to them, if you don't have special gifts or you're not excelling in some unique and special way, that's okay. You see, for these Hebrew teenagers, excellence was a requirement that they had to have in order to serve in the king's court. Listen, God prepares all of us to be able to accomplish his purposes. So, use the gifts that God has given you and don't compare yourself to others. God has designed you uniquely, each and every one of us, to be made, we were made in our own unique way in order to accomplish the mission that he calls us to. Well, that brings us to part number three of Daniel's story. They faced a complicated dilemma. It's found in verse five. Listen to what Daniel writes. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Initially, this doesn't sound like much of a dilemma. They got a daily ration of the king's food and wine. Doesn't sound bad, does it? In fact, it was actually an honor to be trained to serve in the king's palace. But it also created a unique problem. You see, for these four dedicated Jewish teenagers, they would have to adapt themselves to the ways of the thinking of the Babylonians. The purpose of this training was actually to transform Jews into Babylonians. They not only relocated to a new land, but they got new names. And they had to adapt to new customs and new ideas and new, and new language. And for three years, their Babylonian teachers would attempt to brainwash them to think and live like Babylonians. Daniel, his name Daniel actually means God is my judge. But he was given the name Belshazzar which means Bell protects his life. Now, Bell was the nickname for Marduk, the main god of Babylon. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. His name was changed by the Babylonians to Shadrach, which means command of Aku. Aku was the moon god that the Babylonians worshipped. Mishael means who is like God. His name was changed to Meshach. And that means who is as Aku is. And Azariah, 
His name means the Lord is my help. His name was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. Nebo was the god of vegetation among the Babylonians. These new names, aligned with Babylonian idolatry, were an attempt to change the identity from these deeply loyal and committed Jewish teenagers into these young, upcoming Babylonian servants in the king's court. They wanted to change the identity from being Jews to Babylonians. You see, learning a new language and even getting new names didn't create much of a problem because they knew who they were. But practicing customs that were contrary to the law of Moses, now that created a huge problem for them. The Babylonians were great builders and military strategists, but their religion was steeped in superstition and myth. Christian students today in secular schools even will find themselves having to study material that contradicts their own personal beliefs. So Daniel and his friends, they too had to master Babylonian history, Babylonian culture, and they nailed it. In fact, we'll read later in the text, the final exam showed that they scored higher than all the other students in this class. God would give them as a result of that, opportunities to show that their Jewish faith was superior to that of their captives. But when their course of training required them to disobey the holy law, they had to draw a line there. That brings us to part number four of Daniel's story. The Hebrew four were a committed core. The king's food was considered the best in all the land, Why would these four Hebrews refuse to eat it? It's because they knew if they ate it, it would defile them before God and make them ceremonially unclean before him. In chapter one, verse eight in the text, it says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. The word Resolved. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. That word is a key word. It means to fix a position or to be established. It's the idea that this issue had already been decided long ago. This was the plan all along. This is what we're going to do. Before Daniel and his friends ever arrived in Babylon and ever faced this complicated dilemma, they had resolved how they would handle a situation just like this. The plan was drawn up that they would never defile themselves with unclean food. You see, Jews were to eat only animals that were approved by God and prepared in such a way that the blood was drained from the flesh. Eating blood, which represented the life of the animal, was strictly prohibited under Jewish law. Also, the king's food would have been first offered to a pagan idol, and no faithful Jew would ever eat food defiled that way. That being the case, the pressure would have been there. Just go along to get along. 
I think we often find ourselves faced with situations where we feel the pressure in this life to conform to the world in which we live. I thought back a few years ago while I was in high school. I remember during a time when the vast majority of my classmates were experimenting with drugs. Most of them were using marijuana. I went to wrestling practice one day and guys in the locker room casually talking about getting high and talking to me about it as if I would participate with them. It was during my junior year that I found out that one of my best friends, all the way from elementary school all the way to high school, we were friends, I learned that he had just started partying with some of his other friends. I remember wondering if I was the only kid in the school not doing this. And then as a senior, one day after class, in the middle of the school day, a younger student started to mock me because I didn't party. He made me the brunt of his joking. He knew I was a Christian, and at one point he made a crass comment about God actually getting high. I got really angry. I'll be honest with you, I'm not proud to say it. I actually wanted a piece of that guy. I thought about knocking out a few of his teeth. Another student stepped in and probably saved me from getting suspended that day. I'm pretty sure I could have handled things better, but one thing about drugs for me was that I had resolved several years earlier that I wasn't gonna do that. I distinctly remember a conversation with my dad, and after that conversation, I remember thinking, I'm never gonna do that. That doesn't make me better than my classmates or anyone who's listening today. I just tell you that story because that conversation with my dad, I think it made all the difference. See, I made a decision ahead of time and it changed how I would live later on, even years later. So now is the time to decide how you're going to respond when the pressure is on. And some of you know exactly those areas where the pressure is gonna come. Put down markers today that will remind you that you will not compromise no matter what the world says or does. Part number five, they took an extensive exam. Daniel and his friends took a serious exam. And you know, every Christian gets tested, don't they? Our faith will get examined. How could God, how could God allow his people to face these kinds of things? Think about it. How could God's people actually resist the pressure to be squeezed into conformity with the world around them. According to Romans, the 12th chapter, verse two, Paul writes this, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, there are two types of people in this world, conformers and transformers. Conformers are those who live, whose lives are controlled by outside pressures, things from without. But transformers are people whose lives are controlled by the power of God from within. Well, I can tell you categorically that Daniel and his friends were transformers. Instead of being changed 
They were the ones who were doing the changing of the world around them. How did they handle this exam that they had to take? Well, the first thing they did to handle the exam and to be transformers was to be totally committed to the Lord. Remember, Daniel's heart was all in for the Lord, as were the hearts of his friends. Remember Daniel 1.8, the first part of that verse, that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He decided that a long time ago. That was the plan. He was fully committed to the purposes of God. You see, a heart that loves God and trusts God and obeys him has no difficulty making the right decisions and trusting God to take care of the consequences. You know, there's a lot in this world that we can't control. And so we trust God to handle it for us. I love what one of my favorite authors, Warren Wiersbe, writes about this. He says, faith is not believing in spite of evidence, that's superstition, but obeying in spite of consequences. When they had to choose between God's law and the king's food, there was really no choice. They had already decided long ago they're gonna choose God's law because they were totally committed to the Lord. The second thing they did in order to pass this exam was to show grace to those in authority. Listen to what we read in verse nine. It says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. The official, Ashpenaz, Daniel noticed that Ashpenaz was especially friendly and kind to them. And that's really not a surprise. Because Proverbs 16, 7 tells us why that was a reality. It says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Think about that. The writer of Proverbs has the recipe for peace and harmony for the world in which we live in. And it's simple. Live a life that pleases God. Verse 10, it continues, the text continues. He says, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Instead of expecting the king's official to get himself in trouble with the king, Daniel and his friends took a wise step. And they asked if they could do a 10-day experiment with regard to their diet. You see, the four teams, these four teenagers didn't, they didn't threaten anybody or try to undermine or overthrow the establishment there in Babylon. They simply excelled at their studies acted like gentlemen, and then asked for a favor of this guard who seemed to, seemed to show them favoritism. And he was the one in charge of them. Well, we read in verses 12 and 13 what happened. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. The guard was willing to accept 
their suggestion. And once he did, God did the rest. In the end of this 10 days, these four teenagers were healthier and better looking than all the others. Daniel and his friends, though opposed to the ways of the Babylonians, showed respect to those who had authority over them. And it gave them space and favor for this guard to bless them. Paul echoes the same kind of sentiment in Colossians, the fourth chapter, verse five. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. You know, when it comes to solving the problems of life, we need to ask God for courage to face these problems. We need to ask him for humility and honesty. We need wisdom to understand the problem. And we need strength to do what he tells us to do. And we need faith to trust him to do the rest. And our motive, it must always be to glorify God. Well, the best thing about this experience of these four teenagers wasn't that they were delivered from compromise, but that their character was being developed through this challenging time frame. Part number six in Daniel's story is God gave extreme equipping to Daniel and his friends. Verse 17 says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. These young men had to study and apply themselves. But God gave them the special ability to learn the materials that they had before them. And discernment to understand these materials. And then the wisdom to know how to apply them. All of us should ask God for wisdom and then work hard to do our very best where we're serving him. What did they learn? Well, they were taught the religion of Babylon and the system of astrology that formed the basis of their religion as well as their science. The king's official counselors had to be able to interpret dreams and signs because understanding the times and knowing the future was essential to the king's success. These young men were learning, though they were surrounded by the superstitions of Babylon. By understanding the mindset of the Babylonian people, especially the king's magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers, Daniel and his friends were able to show the superiority of God's wisdom and God gave Daniel a special gift. The gift of understanding visions and dreams, which gave him tremendous favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, that brings us to the final part of Daniel's story here in chapter one. It's that they passed the final. Daniel and his friends, they passed we don't know how many students were actually going through the entire course of study with Daniel and his friends, but it's King Nebuchadnezzar himself who administers the final exam. He took time to examine 
all of them. You see, since a new graduate would become part of his personal advisors, the king wanted to be sure he was getting the very best. By adding exceptionally intelligent people to his staff, the king would be assured of getting the very best counsel available. He was familiar with all the old advisors, and there's some indication that he might not be all that happy with some of them. So the addition of these Jewish teenagers created some jealousy and resentment among the current advisors. And later, they'll actually try to get rid of Daniel. We'll see that later in chapter 6. As older men, the advisors resented these young men's youth. As Babylonians, they resented their race. And as experienced servants, they envied their great ability and knowledge. There will be times when some people will resent you because God has opened up a door of opportunity that you have access to, that they want. So show grace, not vitriol. Daniel chapter one, verse 20. The last verse we'll read in this text. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. These young men were 10 times better than everyone else. It's interesting, it says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. That word question actually has a bigger meaning than just asking them questions. It, it not only means to examine them, but it means to compare them with each other. The king not only questioned the graduates to see what they knew, but he also compared them with all the other students. And this way he ended up with knowing who was the very best of this class. Compared to all the others, these teams, these teens were the best. In fact, they were 10 times better than anyone else in the land. They were the best. Do you know why? Because God had put his blessing on them. He had equipped them and prepared them and now empowered them for the mission that they had ahead of them. This chapter should be a tremendous encouragement to every one of us because we will experience trials and testings, disappointments, discouragements, and difficulties at some point in our lives, especially if we're doing kingdom business, if we're serving and engaged in doing the work of the Lord. Remember, you can always be confident that no matter what you're doing for the kingdom, that God has your back. He's in control. Never forget that God will keep his servants alive and aware until their work is done. The same God who called you and equipped you is able to help you continue until you complete the mission that he's called you to. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it 
to pass. That's the end of the story for Daniel. I hope you'll join us again next week when we look at the second story from the book of Daniel. Until then, God bless. What an inspiring message to start this new series even in. Chapter 1 of Daniel paints such a clear picture about living uncompromised and fully depending on God through the hills and valleys of our lives. So if you'd like to process something that you've heard today, you can just uh, drop a comment or send an email to notesamonti at nccalex.org. But even if is so much more than just this series title, um, it's a prayer and it's a declaration, even if. Even if the world is flipped upside down, God, I choose to live faithfully and to trust in you. And church, we want to thank you all so much for your generosity over this crazy and uncertain time that we've had. Um, Through that generosity, we've been able to continue to do kingdom work here. So we are just so thankful to you. Um, So whether you've been giving through the app, giving online, giving to text, thank you so much for all all of that giving. Um, And you've truly made an impact here in Northeast. Finally, if you're new with us, we are so glad that you're here today. Whether this is your first time or you've been coming for a couple of weeks now, um, we would just love to connect with you and figure out what your next step is here at Northeast. So the easiest way for you to do that is to download the NCC app. Um, You can find the digital connect card there and you can check out our groups and find out all of our upcoming events. Um, We would love to connect with you that way. We thank you all so much for joining us and we'll see you again soon.